Compassion International is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Prove it. I am proof. 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 One day, my country will be proof. My life will be proof. My family is proof. at Compassion I saw hope. I saw a chance for me to like go to school and realize my dreams in future. But the best of the best is that I came to learn Christ through Compassion International. So, and my life has never been the same again. Yeah, I was really changed and I, I'm, I, I'm changed daily. I'm renewed. If I was not enrolled in the Compassion program, chances are that I will be dead right now. Chances are that maybe I'll be rotting in a prison. Chances are that I'll not be the accountant that I wanted to be. Being in compassion has enabled me to break the cycle of poverty. My life will be proof. I am proof. Proof. You want to change the world? Prove it! As a kid, I loved creating projects with modeling clay. Not Play-Doh, it was too pliable, but that thick brick of dense yet pliable material that I could shape and form into all kinds of things. I mean, none of them were ever any good, but, but they did come from my own, my own imagination. Every day... I'm shaped, you're shaped, and formed by, by the things around us. Every time I turn on the television or the radio, I'm being shaped and formed. When I browse the internet, when I have conversations, I'm, I'm shaped and I'm formed. The, the people that I spend time with shape me and, and form me and, and influence me. When I come to church or pray, I read the Bible, I'm shaped and formed. We're all shaped and formed by something. And when I, when I hold this piece of clay in my hand, I also see a bit of myself because I'm reminded of the words of the book of Genesis chapter 2 that, that God reached down into the clay of the earth, the dirt of the earth, and he created a, a human, a man, whose name was Adam, which literally means from the earth or dirt or, or clay, and shaped and formed that clay into a human being and breathed the breath of life into him. But there's another passage that I, I think about, this one from the New Testament. So, so while the Old Testament reminds me that, that God has literally shaped and formed my physical body, my arms, my legs, my face, the scriptures say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's also an inner shaping that happens. The Apostle Paul writing to the Galatian church says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, I do think it's a bit risky 
when a man tries to use birth as a metaphor, something we've never experienced. But I can appreciate where the whole thing is going. There's a there's a travail, there's a pain, there's a, a suffering that happens, but it produces something that's, that's good. The Apostle Paul's deepest desire for those that he was serving is that Christ would be quite literally formed in them. And so here today, I resonate with the words of the Apostle Paul because my, my greatest desire for this church is not that we just grow and do good things and have programs and do good in the community. All, all those are good things. But my greatest desire, not only for myself, but for you, is that Christ would be formed in you and that you would know what it means to have a faith that's substantive, that, that, that you would know the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and the contentment that comes in Christ regardless of what's happening in my my outer world. The last couple of weeks, we've spent time in a letter called 1 Thessalonians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a church church in a city called Thessalonica. And within that letter, like many of the letters of the Apostle Paul, we find a triad of words, words that are used over and over in his epistles, but in different ways. But it's always the same three words, faith, hope, and love. So we turn uh, for a moment to First Thessalonians chapter 1. We read the words of the Apostle Paul. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So for the next few moments, I want to I want to spend some time in that phrase, your work produced by faith. The natural result of faith in Christ is good work or doing good. Now, our good work doesn't earn us brownie points with God. We don't get gold stars in our heavenly portfolios. No, no, no. Good work is the natural result of, of a life of faith. There may, maybe more specifically, doing good in Jesus' name is the product, the result, the fruit of faith. Now, I often have conversations with individuals that say to me something along the lines of, Pastor Mike, what, what I really want is I want to grow in my faith. I want to go deep in my faith. I want to go deeper. And what that typically means is I want to ascend intellectually. I want to know more things about God, which, which is good and honorable and right. But I've come to believe that the greatest accelerator and the greatest tool of formation is sharing my life with someone else in Jesus' name. It's doing good in Jesus' name. It's being Christ's hands and feet in the world. See, when I do good in Jesus' name, that is, that is deep formational work. It's hard work. It's, it's good work. And what we find in the Bible more often than anything else is that the recipients of our good work must include the poor. Now, the word that we translate poor 
uh, is used to describe multiple groups of people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just the economically uh, struggling, but it also is a reference to those that the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, the powerless, the distressed, the suffering, the low, those that rely on others for survival. You find this word over and over and over in the Bible. You find God's concern for the poor and our response to it over 2,000 times in the scriptures. It's talked about more than any other topic in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in the book of Proverbs, we, we find passages like, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The prophet Isaiah writes, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Jesus, when describing his mission on earth in Luke chapter four, says, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Luke chapter 14, Jesus giving a parable says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Now, many of us know these things. And I believe that most of us care about those that are poor and struggling and suffering. I don't think that we are a non-caring church. But what I realize, my biggest challenge, and maybe your biggest challenge, is not lack of concern. It's more indifference. Because of where I live, I just don't think about it all the time. Because of where I was born, it's not my reality. It's, it's not my context. And I know, I know there are bad things happening over there in some country over the ocean. And I know there are poor people. And I know there, are, I know there's human trafficking. And I know there's all these things. But, and I feel bad about it, but it's not me. It's not my kid. But what would I be willing to do if it were? What would I be willing to do if it were me? And if it were my child? And what would I hope that others would do if it were me and if it were my child? In the Bible, one of the working metaphors to describe the Christian church is the bride of Christ. Now, in my vocation, I have performed a lot of weddings. What I can tell you from all the weddings I've done that I've lost track of, at a wedding, the clock does not determine the starting time. Oh no. At a wedding, the bride determines the start of a wedding. And so it's my practice when the hour is drawing near, I go and check on the bride to make sure that she's okay and ready to go. And when I open the door and and look at the bride for the first time, I promise you every single time she is stunning. The groom is hit or miss, but the bride... (laughs) is always stunning. There's never been a time in which I've opened the door to the bride's room and said, oh, clearly you need a few more minutes. Like, it's never happened. It's never happened. Not one time. The bride's always beautiful and stunning. So how then is the church, the bride of Christ, beautiful and stunning? Well, I would argue it's when we do good in Jesus' name, particularly on behalf of the poor. 
we're, we're called to have com- compassion. The word, the word compassion literally means from the guts. You ever felt something, you say, I feel it in my gut. It means I feel it from a deep, deep place. I, I feel this, like I feel this in my guts. When I was in seminary, I went to seminary in Pasadena, California, and halfway through my program, I changed my focus uh, in seminary from theology to intercultural studies because I thought at the time I was going to go to the mission field or at least work with an organization that worked with the poor. It was my passion. It's always been my passion. And, and, you know, for some reason in God's providence, I ended up in Richfield, Wisconsin, which is, is not that at all. But I haven't lost, I haven't lost sight of this. I haven't lost sight of my passion to care for the poor and be a church that cares deeply about those that suffer. And so this past October, I was at an event with an organization called Compassion International. Many of you know Compassion. It's a great organization that cares for children around the world. And at that event, uh, I met a young guy named Jonathan. Jonathan was born in the Dominican Republic and was just headed for some really challenging things as a young boy, but was introduced through a church to the Ministry of Compassion International, was sponsored, became a Compassion International child, and now is an adult, and as an adult, he works for Compassion International. He's got a very compelling story, and I would, I could probably do an okay job telling his story, but I guess I'd rather you hear it from him, so I'd like you to give a big North Brick welcome to Jonathan El Monte. Thank you, church. Good morning. Uh, I flew out of the Dominican Republic last Friday. And let me tell you, I always say we have two, two seasons in the DR. Summer and summer. <laughs> but I am about to believe you have three. Winter, uh, summer, and autumn. But I don't feel spring here. Like... <laughs> I was, uh, when we got our, fir- our first refrigerator, I always wanted to know, how does it feel to live inside that very cold? Again, it was very hot in the DR. This morning, I know. Um, I come from a family that our heritage is witchcraft. Because of the colonization, when Spanish came to the Dominican Republic, they... Uh, force people to be Christians, and uh, those African slaves brought from Af- from from Africa to the DR, they combined this Catholicism with the Voodoo, and the result of that is the syncretism. People worshiping saints, but in the back, they are actually worshiping a demon. And both of my grandparents were witchcraft priests. They were reading people's hands and talking about the future. And in this context, my mother and some of my aunts, there was this culture of abuse, physical, both physical and sexual. And so my mom was abused by an uncle, ran away from family, ended up homeless, working in a restaurant 24 hours, sleeping in the back in a table because she didn't have a home to be. That's how she met my father, 
who was married man with four daughters, and yet my mother got pregnant. Uh, and now here's the thing. So he has his family, and now there is this, as in the DR is considered a bastard child outside of his marriage. He wanted my mom to abort. She didn't do it. And he got angry at her. Uh, I realized recently that I got my birth certificate five years uh, when I was born. And the reason for that is because my father was mad at my mom because she delivered me. Uh, and back then, a mother, a single mother, couldn't give the birth certificate to the child. Now it's possible. And that's how my journey started. Uh, I do remember... Uh, my mother didn't have prenatal care. I didn't remember that, being in the womb. But it, uh, she, when I was born, my teeth were very weak. She didn't have calcium. And she found a way. We didn't have a home or no money. And so she went to a university for the students to practice in my mouth. And uh, they took me to this big room, uh, put me in a in a bed and uh, tied me to that bed, a force jacket, and a metal open mouth machine that they graduated, it put it in my mouth to keep my mouth open, while 20 students were learning life with a human mouth. I know I'm describing a trauma. By the way, is there any dentist? <laughs> I don't hate you anymore. But uh, going through that um, was part of the reality of poverty, the vulnerability of being exposed to 20 students, to this trauma reality. It was just the beginning of the journey. I used to sell juice in the street to help my mom uh, buy some food or empanadas. And I was also a dumpster diver looking for plastic in, 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 in dump site areas, literally diving to buy some bread and, and eat something. I didn't have a school uniform. You, you need a school uniform to go to, to school in the DR. And I do remember uh, someone lent me his uniform, so I could go to school four hours in the morning, run back at noon, keep it as clean as possible, give his uniform back so he could go to school in the afternoon. Uh, my shoes were broken, and so I... Days like today, while it was raining in the DR, I had to take cardboard, make a sole, and put it inside my shoes because I had holes down. And they got damaged because of the water, or my food was getting burned because of the sidewalk, very hot. Uh, and so then eventually these shoes got broken in from, and you, you say talky shoes. We say hungry shoes. So they, they just, it was just flip-flopping. Uh, mine were both hungry and talky at the same time. <laughs> and in the midst of all of that, I didn't understand poverty. I remember one day going to school, and I'm shaking, I'm sweating. It is 95 Fahrenheit weather, 90% humidity. But I'm feeling the cold that I'm feeling right now in Wisconsin. It didn't make sense. And so that happens various times. And I never understood. If you don't eat for days, your body reacts. It starts to react because your, your sugar is coming down. And uh, they always gave me a cookie. And immediately I got restored. But I didn't understand poverty. I, I didn't understand what I was going through. And I remember my mom uh, heard about this local church. Thanks God because... 
there were guys in my ghetto community selling drugs and being involved in bad things. And honestly, to be honest with you, I wanted to be a gang member because they have, back in the 90s, Jordans. And you literally could get killed in the DR because of a Jordan sneakers. Mine were, remember, talking hungry. And so, thanks God, she heard about this local church in our community serving children in need. We didn't know anything about this ministry called Compassion. We just knew there is a church providing a school uniform, shoes, and food. Exactly what I needed. We got into this waiting list, and a few weeks passed. They went home, took me to the church. I stand in front of a number down, and they took me a picture, like the military picture. We make fun of those pictures. And... um, Suddenly, I'm not only having my very first uniform ever, but, but new shoes and, and food two times a day through the week. The beauty of being in the program beyond those material things was my sponsor, Jamie. So we spent many years of letter writing. And I'm, I want to share with you some of the letters that she sent me. Uh, Jamie was an expert writing letter and... She sent me this very one paragraph letter saying, good, af- good, good afternoon, Jonathan. I wanted to send you a little note to let you know that I was thinking about you. I hope that you're doing well. It is getting warm up here in Michigan. Now I know. I understand now. Um, I can read everything, but my father and I, because of the beginning of my life and journey, we used to meet once a month for five minutes in different highways. I thought he was an FBI agent or something. And uh, they understand why, but we met in different places. And he never has called me to say that he was thinking about me. Whatever warm-up Michigan is, this woman remember me every time. Jamie not only sent small notes like this one, but for example, another letter. This is the only example, but maybe the most important part of the letter for me is, uh, hello, Jonathan, happy 15th birthday. Uh, my father has never called me to say happy birthday, but she remembered my birthday every year. Um, there was a hurricane in the DI, a massive hurricane. We are in the path of hurricanes, and... We had water in the small shack where we lived for two weeks. And there was no assistance from the government. Nor my father knew if I was alive. But Jamie sent me this letter. Greetings, Jonathan, from the state of Michigan in the United States. How are you doing? I hope this letter finds you, finds that you're doing well. Did the hurricane affect you at all? And then she described the warm weather of Michigan and, and happy 14th birthday. Two things in this letter. She remembered me. Somehow she knew that there was a hurricane going through, and, but my father didn't know if I was alive. I came to Christ because of the intervention of the local church. I was exposed to the gospel. And also my mom. Uh, 12, at 12, I got baptized. When I was 14, two of my uncles, my father's brothers, introduced me to his family to realize they didn't know that I existed. And they were very happy, thanks God. My sisters, four sisters, and my father's wife. 
And I never talked to my father about it. And nine months passed, and he came to the place where we used to meet. And he asked me, why you meet my family without my permission? And I realized, oh, they talk. Um, and then I said, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm happy about your family. And then he interrupted and said, neither you or my brothers have the permission to get involved in my life. You have to understand you're a mistake in my life. Uh, being 14, it's a very rough time to discuss purpose in life. But for me, that was practical poverty in, in its worst. And I remember crying. I couldn't keep talking to him. I just ran away. And it was a journey of a struggle. And, and I was hating him. And I was angry with God. Nobody gave me a menu to be born where I was born. I was born where I was born. And in the midst of that, still God is a good father. He loved me, but my father hates me. And then Jamie sent this letter. Maybe this is the most important letter from Jamie. Greetings, Jonathan, from Michigan. It is obvious she is very proud about Michigan. We received our first dozen of no today on Thanksgiving. Today is a great day to reflect on all the things that I am thankful for, and you are one of those that I am greatly thankful for. I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. It is because of Jesus' birth that we can have hope and assurance of eternal life after death. Three things in the letter. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. You can write about that. I love turkey now. <laughs> but you Americans do something on Thanksgiving, and she describes it very well. Americans reflect on the things that they are thankful. And I was one of the reasons she, my sponsor from Michigan, was greatly thankful for Even though my father thought that I was a mistake, God provided this older sister, she sponsored me when she was 26, who put out God's love to me. And second, my hope and assurance, as she portrayed in the letter, is not on my earthly father. It is on the finished work of Jesus Christ in the cross. And therefore, God not only provided a father, I didn't have a father, but he provided a sponsor, God provided a community of people, a church that took care for me, uh, a pastor who gave me a godly example of what a man was supposed to be, people who put out his love in a practical way through food, through guidance. But these letters um, helped me to understand God allowed everything that I was going through for a purpose. In fact, I was far away from Jesus and I was brought near because of the blood of Jesus. And... Uh, because of this letter, I called my father crying uh, after a conversation with one of the teachers at the church and reflecting on Jamie's letter. And, and I said, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry to be a mistake in your life, but you have to admit that I am the best mistake you have ever made. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was crying and he, my father started to cry. And, and that's a way on how God restored our relationship and things started to clear out. I started to understand God's going to work it out one day, and now I understand it. Um, God opened the door for me to want to go to university, get, get a degree, and one of my greatest joy now 
is to serve with compassion back in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we, I, I served 237 churches with a team of 50 plus people and thousands of servers in the local churches that they work with 68,000 children. Um, I got the chance to meet Jamie. Uh, I think there is a picture of her. And she told me, Jonathan, I never imagined uh, a mom, she's a mom of four now, will make such an impact in someone's life. And that's, that's the thing that I hope that you can grasp out of my story. The reason I'm here is not only because a church provided food or school supplies for me. It's because God used this local church and my sponsor through her letters to make me a disciple of Jesus. The biggest need that I had wasn't school supplies, food, or shoes. The biggest need that I had was Christ. When I die, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And that's the greatest blessing that I have received out of this ministry. My mom went to university while I was attending the Compassion Center. And now she's a teacher. Uh, she's not in poverty anymore. And because I think there is a picture of her. And because we were introduced to the gospel at church, my grandparents were introduced to the gospel as well. Both. I believe, are rejoicing at the right hand of Jesus through the fullness of joy that we are promised to have after death. Because of a 26 years old young woman from Michigan struggling financially, deciding what to do, but she accepted the call of God to put out Jesus' love for me. My greatest joy, besides serving in the DR to other children in poverty in local churches, is to be a husband. Um, I am happily married to one wife. People laugh about that, but making my wife happy is very hard. Uh, no, my greatest joy is to, to be a father and to be a husband. I think there is a picture of my family. Um, Jonathan Edwards is one, JD's five, and they're fighting all the time. I used to say happy wife, happy life. I'm now say happy children, happy house. And uh, as, as I wrap it up here, I, I just want you to reflect on this. This is beyond $38 a month of providing support. This is an opportunity to provide children in need a path to Jesus, a path to heaven through the gospel and through these letters. And enabling a local church in need because that support goes directly to this local church that serves these children in need. Enabling this local church to spread the gospel to many other children in need just like they did to me. Thank you, Northbrook. God bless you. One decision to make room for one more changed my life. Saved my life. Saved my life. So what do we do? One of my favorite uh, TV series of all times is a series on Netflix called Stranger Things. Maybe maybe you've seen it. Uh, if you haven't, it's set in the 1980s and 
It's not a true story, by the way. Uh, set in the 1980s, and it's a story of a of basically two universes, two parallel dimensions, two realities, and a little boy gets trapped in another kind of dimension that is very much like the normal dimension, but it's more dark and evil, and they refer to it as the upside down because it's just an upside down reality. And so when I think about Jonathan's story, I think there's a lot of kids trapped in the upside down. When a father tells a son he was a mistake, that's pretty upside down to me. When a young man has to put cardboard in his shoes to keep his feet from getting burned or wet, that seems pretty upside down. When a child experiences the physical symptoms of being chilled to the bone in a tropical environment of 95 degrees because they hadn't had a meal in a couple days, that to me is upside down. So I think our response then as a church is both biblical and contextual. Biblically, I mean, we don't have to pray about it. I mean, you read the Bible, be concerned about the poor. I mean, there's, there's no arguing. It's hard, very hard to make an argument against that, at least using the Bible. I suppose we could use our own rationale, but if we're going to be people of the book, using the Bible. But then there's the contextual question. How do we actually do it in our, in our time? And every time has a different way of addressing things. And so we live in a time in which there are great organizations that partner with churches that make this happen. Compassion International is one of those organizations that Northbrook has partnered with because we believe in it. I've gone to Latin America. I've seen their work. I've seen their centers. I can, they're the real deal. I, I vouch for them completely. Uh, my wife and I sponsor two children in Africa right now. And then this weekend, we decided as a family to do a third. Uh, so this is Emerson. My wife and I have uh, decided to sponsor him. He's in El Salvador, which is where Northbrook has one of its projects. And so now my, my challenge, my next step for this weekend is, is two. Uh, f- first, uh, this weekend, Compassion International is here, and they brought with them a thing called the Compassion Journey. It is an interactive experience that's audio-driven, uh, narrated by a little boy named Kevin living in Africa. There's no cost to it. Uh, you just kind of walk through different stations and you get a taste of what it's like to live uh, in a developing country, but also what compassion does to alleviate suffering and poverty around the world. We do have slots open today from between 12 and 2, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. Secondly, uh, as you leave today, there are tables in the lobby with packets of children that need sponsors. Like these are Real children with real names are not like just some made up. There's not three or four people sponsoring one kid. It's one family, one kid. And so those packets out there have pictures of real children right now that are in need of a sponsor. And I, I hope that you'll consider sponsoring a child. Uh, I, I realized uh, that, so, so I have two dogs, as you know, because I talk about it all the time, love my dogs. It costs me roughly $100 a month to feed my dogs. So it's about $100 a month on dog food. And there are children around the world that have no food. And to me, I just, I can't, I can't ignore that. And so I do my little, my little part. I know I can't, I can't change the whole world. I can't change everybody's world. 68,000 kids in the Dominican, I can't do all that. But I, I can change Emerson's world, Right? And I can change Sarah's world, one of our kids who lives in Africa. I I can do that. And so I will do what I can do, even if it stretches me 
just a little bit. So as you leave today, there are tables out there. Please stop by. At least talk to one of the compassion representatives. And if you're online, there is a QR code that's appearing on your screen. It's probably already there. If you scan that with your phone, uh, there are children that have been set aside just for our online viewers. You can participate with us. We'd love for you to be a part of that. So let's just take a moment. Let's just ask God what he wants us to do. A Saturday night, I said, listen, this is no pressure, but I was like, oh, there's a little bit of pressure because like, I, like, I feel very passionate about this. So God, I, I, think, I think you've blessed us in so many ways. I know you've blessed me. I've got a great life. I do. Thank you for it. And I want to share my life with those around me. I'm not a savior. The only savior is you. Just a guy that happened to be born in a place that afforded me opportunities others do not have. And so I want to share a part of my life to to help those that that are created in your image, in your likeness. Hold the breath of God. And so as a church, may we may we care about the things that you care about. And there are a lot of things about our faith and a lot of things about the Bible that sometimes I'm not sure what to do with, but this I'm I'm confident. No doubt. Called to serve each other, and we are called to serve. Well, the least of these, because you said when you've done it on the least of these, you've done it unto me. So, God, we do it for you. Amen, church. What a great time to be together and celebrate all the great things that God is doing in our world through this church and through us. So my prayer for you now is that you would take this message, you would take that compassion journey, let that change you even just a little bit. Let it change your life, and in turn, may you go and change someone else's life. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. So great to see you again. Enjoy the weekend.